One in 20 Americans are currently deaf or hard of, or hard of hearing. In round numbers, nearly 10 million persons are hard of hearing. Welcome to Boom Goddess Radio. I am your host, Jennifer Davis-Page, and my co-host today is my partner, Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks. Good evening, Hello, Andrea. How are you doing? I am I am doing well. I'm so eager to discuss this topic. We are thrilled to have as our guest a resident expert, Dr. Christy Moore, owner of Sonora Hearing Care, a locally owned and operated audiological and hearing aid practice. Did I say that correctly? Audiology, Audiology practice. Audiology practice. Okay. Welcome, Dr. Christie. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. So good to meet you, Dr. Thank you. Christie. Yes, it's good to meet you too. Tell us, just what is audiology? Is it the study of the audio dial on our devices? No, <laughs> not at all. But, but I get what asked... does an audiologist do? Tell us about that. I get asked that question a lot. No, it doesn't have anything to do with, um, audio, with uh, audio equipment, but it does have to do with the um, education of a person that um, specializes in hearing, balance, and um auditory processing disorders. And an audiologist goes to school, um, usually obtains a master's or a doctorate level degree in hearing sciences um, and specializes in diagnosing and treating and management of hearing balance and other types of hearing disorders. And that's primarily what I do and have now been doing this for approximately 20 years. Wow, 20 years. Our audience loves audience. Get that? Audience. <laughs> yes. <Group> that listens <laughs> together, right? Our audience loves to hear about journeys to becoming. Can you share with us a bit about your journey on the way to becoming an audiologist? Yes. The choices that you've made? And exactly. I Yes. Um, so when I uh, graduated from high school, I went to college and I actually started out as a music major and I played the flute for many, many years prior to entering college and actually got quite good at it. Um, and then I got into school, took some classes and decided that although I absolutely loved music, I did not want to make a career of it. So I had to start thinking, what could I do that would be rewarding to me, that would also allow me to earn a good income, a good living. And I really tried, um, you know, different things. I was in business for a while. I was in English for a while. I even did psychology and nothing really jumped out at me. And I got to my junior year of college and I had to pick a major. So I got the catalog out and I looked through it and found a course in speech language and hearing sciences. And I decided to take that class just to see. I loved it. And I switched my major immediately over and decided I was going to do audiology after that. I love that story, and as, as my partners know, I can get off on that story. <laughs> how people become who they are is fascinating, yes. and fascinating for our listeners, for sure, because people you know, get lost along the path, and how somebody else like you made made the choice of shifting from music to the science of sound and right. how we communicate. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I will stop asking questions right now. Take it away, <laughs> Jennifer Davis. Oh, my goodness. Um, why is it important, uh, Dr. Christie, to treat hearing loss sooner rather than later? 
Well, just like with a lot of things that go wrong in our bodies, the sooner we can take care of it, the better we are going to do at managing and getting over whatever illness or ailment or problem we might have. With untreated hearing loss, there is um, a lot of things that can occur, especially in the brain. Hearing is a brain function. So when we start to lose our ability to hear, it actually can affect our ability, how well we process and understand speech. And that happens very, very slowly. And over time, that can cause us to become and feel more isolated. Um, We may have more difficulty communicating with our loved ones. We may find that we no longer enjoy doing certain activities. And the brain's ability to focus and communicate, it takes more effort for that to happen. It can actually cause um, fatigue. You feel very tired at the end of the day because you're spending so much time trying to concentrate on what's being said. Dr. Christie, can I just stop you? First of all, I'm having trouble hearing. Okay, sorry. Brilliant (laughs) and important statements, and I was listening very much and very much interested in this because our audience is made up of people who may not recognize the subtleties and here's the interface of psychology and listening Correct. and the brain and that's of great interest and I, f- I find when we talk about it, light bulbs go off in, in our minds because we can truly connect the person who's at the dinner table who seems detached right. is he not interested is she in a mood mm-hmm. what's going on with her and then Truly, when investigated, it turns out she really only hears every fifth word. That's correct. And after a while, she just stops even trying. That's right. And then she becomes more and more isolated. And then that means that you're that much less involved and less brain activity that is occurring to want you to, um, you know, keep communicating and keep understanding and processing. And it becomes much harder for the rehabilitation process when you wait longer to treat your hearing loss, just as though you waited longer to treat um, a knee if you had a bad knee and you waited longer rather than doing something about it sooner, it's going to take a lot longer to get that knee working better like it did before the surgery. And hearing is no different. Why do people wait so long? Why is, are they embarrassed I mean, why do they wait so long to come to you? Yes. Um, you know, the average person will wait uh, when they're first feeling like they have a hearing problem. They'll wait seven or eight years before they oh. actually come to see an audiologist to have a hearing test. And I think there's been a stigma for a long time that if you have hearing loss, it's a sign of being old. And that's that's far from the truth. It does It is true that it happens um, that when you get older, just like a lot of things, they don't work as well as they did when we were younger. And hearing tends to get poorer as we age, just because we've been exposed to more sounds and things in our lifetime. Um, But I think that's a main thing. People don't want to admit that they're having trouble hearing because they don't want to have to wear something and admit that maybe they have have a problem or are having difficulty. Right. And I think that certainly in part two of our um, our conversation, we need to talk about all those modern advances because I absolutely believe that you're right, that, you know, people don't realize what can be done. So that's super important. I have a question, yeah. um, if I might, sure. about, about devices. 
Yes. So, you know, I guess what, in the past 20, 30 years, we've been wearing much more in the way of devices on our ears, in our ears. Um, And I was just wondering if you are seeing more younger people because they start listening to devices that are in their ears, you know, like picture a, a, a bunch of people out to dinner and three kids are listening to three different programs and their parents, of course, are, you know, kind of on their own phones. Right. And that's sort of like a cartoon, but, <laughs> but it's you know? true. It's reality. Absolutely. Um, we know that studies show um, that, you know, listening to uh, music or other types of even speaking at high level volumes um, directly in the ear over time can definitely increase your risk of noise induced hearing loss. And so uh, young people, especially um, our young teens or, or our in-betweens, um, they definitely are at a higher risk if they're left to listen to those devices um, at too loud of a volume. Sure, certainly. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see parents and based on this conversation, parents and grandparents becoming a lot more aware and vigilant. Definitely. They definitely are. And even my 11-year-old son, I've got him trained very well to keep his um, AirPods at a very reasonable volume because I've really worked on educating him his whole life Mm -hmm. about what hearing loss is and how he can prevent that from happening to him. So he's, he's actually quite vigilant about it. And he'll show me and he'll say, Mom, look, I've got my volume set at a comfortable level. And I'll say, great, that's good. Well, I think that all of us need that education, Dr. Christie. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I'm from the generation of loud music. Right. And I'm wondering that sometimes, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've done a little damage in my day. Right. That's right. right. Well, see, now that's why they have smooth jazz for, for the old folks, so we that's can just listen to smooth jazz music. Do the ear, do the ear bobs, are they, do they hurt? The children, I know, I'm hearing what you're saying about the volume. Correct. But the, uh, but the ear bobs as, mm-hmm. as a tool, is that good for you or, or what? Well, it's, it's not that it's necessarily bad. Um, it's, again, how much you're using it. Okay. So it's more of, you know, if you're, if you're a kid and, and, or a parent allowing your kid to, you know, use earphones eight, 10 hours a day, um, that may not be a good thing because too much of, of anything can be bad for you. Um, the likelihood that the volume is going to be louder than it needs to be is, is very likely. And so over time, yes, hearing damage can occur because of that. Why are hearing aids so expensive, Dr. Christie? Well, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot. Um, Hearing aids are a a tool that we use for the rehabilitative process. And they are miniature computers. And they are designed, there's a lot of research and development that goes into them as well. So they are tiny little computers that have to process sound waves to, in order to um, produce or reproduce a sound into the ear that sounds like what we would recognize speech to sound like. So the devices themselves are very sophisticated, but there's more to it than just the device itself. You can buy a device, put it on and wear it, but you're not going to get what you need. Um, 
properly fitting hearing aids requires the service of a knowledgeable audiologist where we program the device specifically for your hearing loss. Then we verify it using um, real ear measures, which is a type of best practice that we use to measure how much sound you're actually getting from that device in your ear, and then fine tuning just like on an equalizer to make sure you're getting that appropriate sound. Then we have um, the process of trying to orient you how to how to use it, how to clean it, how to take care of it, exercises that you need to do, listening exercises. Then we want you to come in so we can recheck your hearing periodically. We can check and clean the devices thoroughly to make sure they're functioning, program them, all of that. So it's a, a lifetime commitment, you might say, um, when you get hearing devices. And those services that we do, those are not included um, in our costs as far as being able to be billed to insurances. Therefore, we have to recoup those costs so that we can continue doing business, keep our doors open, and continuing serving the public. So Medicare, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Does Medicare cover hearing aids? Medicare itself does not cover hearing aids at this time. Um, there's legislation in place that they're trying to get a certain percentage of hearing losses, like severe to profound, possibly covered, um, but that may be a ways before we see anything like that. Um, Medicare does cover diagnostic testing when done by an audiologist. Mm -hmm. So the hearing testing where we test how you hear the tones, but also how you hear speech and quiet as well as speech and noise, those tests are covered by Medicare as diagnostic procedures. Now the price of the the prices of a, a hearing aid mm -hmm. that much depends, I guess, on the severity of the hearing loss. Is that correct or not? Not necessarily. It has more to do with the um, advancement level of the technology. So you have hearing aids that have more basic features um, that have less less abilities to fine tune them perhaps, or maybe are for best for people that have a less active lifestyle. And then you have some that have more sophisticated features um, that again are for people that are in noisy environments, working outside the home um, in lots of communication. And so those have more features on how they're actually analyzing the speech and quiet and noise and adapting for that and, and question, automatic. Question, technical yeah. question from Dr. Andrea here. So I just want to clarify something. One might think that a hearing aid simply amplifies the existing conversation. Right. But what I think I hear you saying, and maybe I got this wrong, that the hearing aid emulates the tones that are input, inputted, and <laughs> then creates Analog Dr. Andrea, we're going to come back in just a moment. Welcome back to this fascinating conversation that Jennifer Davis Page and myself, Andrea Goldmarks, are having with our guest, Dr. Christy Moore, about hearing and listening. And now my question about the technology of the hearing aid. So just to rephrase my question, Dr. Dr. Christy, are you with me? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Thank you. Because I don't have that cue. I can't right. see you. So now we have to use <laughs> uh, verbal fill-ins. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. So um, am I to understand that a hearing aid either amplifies the existing conversation with one or more people, 
or that it um, translates that conversation into tones that are then mechanically transmitted to our ears, the ear of the of the client, mm-hmm. and emulates the sound, or does it? Is it the true sound that's coming through? Right. So it's the true sound that's coming through in the form of sound wave pressure. Good. And okay. so the, right. Yep. All right. So that's the physics of the situation. Correct. Right, because if you love somebody and you love hearing their voice, yes, you certainly wouldn't want anything less than their voice. Exactly, that is correct. Okay, okay. and those are the more expensive kinds, the ones that get more fine-tuned that way. Um, every hearing aid can be fine-tuned, and that's part of you know what we do as audiologists. Um, we have different different ways of fine-tuning it. We have more. Um, availability or more features available in in hearing aids that have more um, advanced technology. So we have more handles to adjust and fine tune the frequency response to make it sound even more precise. Yeah, digestible if you can mix the metaphor. Sure. Right. Right. I had a friend, and I just you know want want to understand this out loud that. Um, had his hearing aids adjusted not only for his own um, what he needed and wanted to hear, but because of the environment. So maybe there was a setting, and we'll get into this called noisy restaurant. Sure. And then so there must be a suppression factor as well as an enhancement factor. Yes. So that's noise reduction, which mm-hmm. is present in most models of hearing aids from very advanced to even very basic hearing aids. That's and good to know. Yeah, it's good to know. Um, yeah. And so, because, yep, go ahead. I was just going to say thank you. Oh, because you're of the noisy restaurant syndrome, you know, you go out with a group of people and they say, we can't go there because we can never hear each other. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. And and that seems to be one of the big problems among among us. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. I was going to say older people, but that's illegal. That's not say. us, Andrea. No, that's, that's, that's not us. <laughs> no. Among our peers. <laughs> now, does it take um, why is hearing rehabilitation and auditory training so important to the overall overall success of adjusting to hearing aids. Is there an adjustment period once you get them fitted? Yes. Um, and we always tell people that it's it's like running a marathon. So it's the process that is happening to you. Um, when you're fit with hearing aids, a lot of times, um, you know, our average client has maybe had hearing loss for 10, 20 years or longer. So that means over time they have had a gradual decrease in hearing those subtle sounds over and over again. And so when you put a hearing aid on and you program it with a prescription to give you back those sounds, um, it can be quite overwhelming to all of a sudden hear those sounds that you haven't heard before. And all of a sudden you're hearing everything. You're hearing footsteps. You're hearing the dishwasher. You're hearing the refrigerator. You're hearing those, uh, those you know, children. You're hearing a lot of things like that. And so those are things that your brain actually has to learn to listen for again so that it can learn to kind of put it in the foreground and learn to ignore it and put it into um, the back of your mind, you might say. That's 
that's asking a lot. That's of, asking of, a of whole lot. Yes. And I have known close people to me who've decided, one one man decided never to use the hearing aid at right. all. He just didn't care. Right. He'd read lips. Yep. He didn't care. And he loved the silence. And one of my <laughs> female friends also, she just loves the silence. And right. I would imagine I would kind of prefer that. Um, <laughs> and all those sounds, that could drive anyone crazy. It, it can. And I that's why I always tell people from the beginning, it's, it's not going to sound great at first. And you give it some time. Consistent usage daily is what it takes. So wearing them consistently a few hours every day. Um, the first 30 days are probably the biggest um, milestone to get through. Um, it takes at least 30 days for the brain to really um, figure out how to make use of that information. I always tell people, you know, really, it's going to be three months, six months, maybe even a year before you really start to see, okay, I'm I'm back to where I was, or I'm darn near close to where I was. Can yes. you? Well, I, can I, you, I, want, I just I, wanted to ask one I'm more sorry, question. go ahead. Do we have... We've got time. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. So my my it's more of a statement. Sure. I think that, like you were saying, people will wait seven years, six or seven years before they really notice. And so what you're describing now is undoing that um, adaptation process. Right. That happened over the six or seven years. Exactly. Like you didn't realize you were no longer hearing the clock ticking. Correct. Or, you know, the cat getting locked in another room. Or, you know, <laughs> right. Subtle kinds of things like that. People get used to not hearing. And so... You know, that 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 is the issue. That's it's correct. adaptation. So it's either reversing that or desensitizing, as you're describing. That's right. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of put that in the learning context. There. I find it hard to believe that someone would go seven or eight years. I mean, the process, I mean, that's got to. Why aren't you paying attention to yourself? I mean, why why aren't you paying attention to yourself? I mean, right. I, and does hearing loss is it a gradual thing then? Yes. For yeah, most very. for most cases it's very gradual. It happens very very slowly. Um, as the if you know if we talk about the anatomy of the inner ear where we have thousands of these hair cells and they are all finely tuned to different frequencies in that ear from very low pitches to very high pitches. And so over time, those thousands of hair cells are there and some of them start to die off. And when they start to die off, others have to start to fill in the gaps. And then the brain is not getting that full sound. So it starts to fill in the gaps. So it starts, you start to adapt and you don't realize how much sound you're actually missing because your brain is putting more effort to have to fill in that information that's not there. Can now one year what, go out? Oh, I'm sorry, Andrea. Can, that's what can looks one, like crazy behavior. Correct. Okay, go, go ahead. Can one ear go out and the other ear is 100% healthy? Yes, that can happen. Um, although that's we sometimes see that um, as a red flag. Meaning that if something like that happens, we want to know, is there a medical issue that has occurred? And so that's something that we'll do testing and do other things to try to figure that out. And it may be that there is something medically causing that to happen, whether it was an accident, infection, um, you know, other mass tumor, those types of things. So we want to make sure that medically there's not something causing that to occur. And if there is, then we want to make sure that that person gets taken care of right away so that they can get that reversed or fixed. Well, you know, we're taught to get our eyes checked every year. Yep get 
get our, our physicals every year. I can't tell you the last time or even if I've ever had a hearing test. That's right. And that's the that's the problem. And that's one of the things that in the audiology community, we're trying to really stress why it's important. Baseline at 50 or younger um, is really important and to have annual hearing screenings at least um, every year or once every two years um, so that we can monitor subtle changes in hearing. Now, will Medicare pay for the screening? Medicare doesn't usually pay for a screening, um, but that's not as involved of a test either. So Medicare will pay for comprehensive tests when there is medical necessity. And medical necessity can be even a perceived change in hearing um, or not ever having had a hearing test before and saying, you know, I don't think I'm hearing as well as I used to and I want to have this checked out. When I come to you, I don't want you to tell me it's been eight years and I'm, I, and I'm needing to do something. Okay. I am, I'm, I'm doubting and I'm going to have to come and make, because that's interesting. I mean, I can't, Andre, when's the last time you had a, had a hearing test? I, I was thinking about that. It was here in, in, um, you know, this new place where we live. And, um, so I know that it was less than less than seven years. Well, I haven't had one since I've been in the desert, so I'm going to have to come to to Dr. Christie and have her check check me out, and then she'll you say, know, you know, you haven't you know, heard a thing I in eight it, years. When I had it is when I got earplugs. I I got custom fit earplugs because I swim. Oh, wonderful! And, Those and, are great. But it, it was so complex, I never used them. <laughs> it, was, it was such a deal to get them in. Oh no! That I said, oh, that's very nice, but that doesn't work. I'm, oh. I'm too impatient for that. So somewhere they've melted at the bottom of a you know pool bag by now. <laughs> what about implants? Let's talk a little bit about. Cochlear? Cochlear implants. implants. Yeah. And tell us, or tell our audience and tell Andrea and I, because we don't know anything about them. Right. Uh, can you tell us about them? Yes, I can. So a cochlear implant is very different than, say, a hearing aid. It is uh, replacing the inner ear that no longer is able to utilize and recognize sound. Um, it's an internal part that's actually implanted by a surgeon, and it's a, an electrode that goes inside the inner ear and works to stimulate directly to the nerve of hearing, which then sends the signal to the brain. So it's bypassing acoustic and using electric stimulation to help a person hear. Why does someone need that, an implant rather than an aid? Than a hearing aid. Um, that is when hearing aids are no longer able to give them adequate speech understanding. Um, when Because at some point when the hearing becomes so damaged, um, the hair cells, so many hair cells are missing um, where they where a person can no longer recognize that information that's being put into the ear through amplification. Uh, no matter what we do, we can't we can't get past that hurdle. And so that's where we have to say, okay, now we need to go to the next step, which is bypassing that system that no longer works and giving it a chance to recognize that information directly through electrical stimulation. So after somebody has a cochlear implant, mm -hmm. then I imagine they would come to you for the um, tuning and maintenance of, of the surgical yes, device? Yes, that's exactly right. So um, here in where we live, we are actually, our clinic is actually part of a cochlear provider network. And that means that we are um, a private practice audiologist that work with the audiology side of the cochlear implants. We partner with a surgeon here in town that does the surgeries. And so we can do the testing. We have to do certain testing 
for uh, people to meet a criteria that Medicare and FDA have set aside. And when they meet that qualification, meaning their hearing is poor enough that no matter what we do with hearing aids, we're not going to get any better than that, then we can say a cochlear implant might be right for you. We do the testing. We say, yep, it looks like you're a candidate. We have them meet with the surgeon. And then um, from there, we can um, discuss the surgery option. They get implanted. They come back, and we do what's called an activation where we turn on the outside part, and then we work through that rehabilitation process to help them relearn how to hear once again. Wow, that that is kind of coming to a close for us, right, on a very hopeful note <laughs> that nobody has to go, you know, without hearing it. They're well, willing to put the time in. Well, we have some more questions to ask. We're going to close this part of our part one with Dr. Christie. And please join us for part two next week. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com. And follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.